Your native language in Ethiopia is Amharic. As a child learning Amharic, you might not have noticed that there were no words that represented violence against women or sexual harassment. But later, as a lawyer, and still later, as Ethiopia's first female chief justice, you made sure to create those words and to educate the public about their meaning. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. I definitely, I like education. I wanted to join university and um, I knew that education is the key uh, out of uh, poverty. But um, I would never imagine that uh, one day I would be the chief justice of uh, my country. And uh, this is a privilege. This week, fighting bullies and standing up for women, taking the government to court and winning. And so what if there's not a word for it? You'll make a word for it. Join us on our journey from Ethiopia to the United States, learning to use the law and fight for women's rights. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. And when you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. My name is uh, Maaza Shenafi, and uh, I come from Ethiopia. I am uh, the Chief Justice uh, of uh, Ethiopia, and uh, I was appointed uh, just a little over a year ago, November 2019. What was the name of the program that you were on? International Visitors Leadership Program, uh, and uh, the year was 1997, <laughs> 23 years ago. <laughs> I grew up in a small town. You you can call it, uh, in fact, uh, a remote rural town, uh, 800 kilometers from the central uh, capital city. I was uh, one of nine children. I'm, I'm the fifth in my family, uh, five girls and four boys. Growing up was uh, pleasant uh, because we have a very supportive family, supportive community. But in terms of uh, facilities, you know, there was no running water uh, while I was growing up. There was no electricity. When I came to university to join uh, law school, that for the first time I uh, saw a television set. Since I was a child, uh, I always uh, stood up for my rights uh, as well as um, the rights of uh, my friends or even uh, siblings. There is a story that my mom uh, likes to tell. Uh, my older brother used to get uh, bullied at school, so she decided to send me early 
uh, to school so that uh, I I protect my brother. So <laughs> my um, sympathy to people whom I think are disadvantaged or discriminated uh, started on very early. I always had that inclination to human rights issues, to protection of the rights of others. But yeah, at that time, you know, I was not able to articulate it. And um, we don't have like formal counselors and we don't have formal guidance. While I was growing up, I, I was not sure if I was uh, going to... Uh, steady law, but uh, decided that uh, that is subject for me uh, to, to pursue. So after uh, graduating from the university, I was uh, working with the government, uh, but after a few years of uh, service in, in government office, uh, we have established uh, our organization called uh, Ethiopian Women Lawyers Association. Uh, this organization was established by a group of uh, women lawyers. We're focused on um, uh, identifying discriminatory laws and uh, advocating for uh, amendment of uh, such laws. Uh, we were also focused on public education and awareness raising, uh, as well as uh, supporting women who are victims of uh, different kinds of crimes. So uh, I was appointed as the director of the organization. And uh, at that point, uh, I was already active. I was already visible. And um, I assume that uh, that's how I am identified uh, by the Embassy of the United States in Addis Ababa to participate uh, in this program. I felt uh, the importance of the program once uh, I am here and uh, once I had that opportunity to to really actually experience it, and uh, it was nineteen of us, uh, young African uh, lawyers and uh, you know community leaders, and six of them are women. My general uh, takeaway from that experience was that the importance of uh, building institutions, and I was so impressed how in America. Uh, institutions are, are built and how they are run. We had the opportunity to uh, visit academic institutions, uh, to visit community organizations. It was it was an, an eye-opener uh, for me. And, uh, of course, different factors uh, contribute to our success. But some experiences have uh, you know, very critical, uh, critical benefit, uh, especially uh, earlier on our uh, career path. It was it was very important. I was uh, inspired and I 
understood uh, the value of uh, leadership and in a way also rediscovered uh, my potential. And um, that was very helpful because um, we were starting the organization. I was given this important task as a young director of an important organization. And uh, we are trying to persuade uh, the public about, uh, you know, our mission and um, some of the insights that I got about uh, leadership, about uh, uh, team building, about uh, public service, about commitment uh, was very, very useful. I, I would say um, it was empowering. Words represent reality, and uh, words are very important, very powerful. Back when we started the organization, the lawyers, the women lawyers organization, uh, there was no word that represents the concept of violence against women. There was no word that represents sexual harassment, and uh, it was a new conversation, and uh, we had to uh, find words and um, you know legitimize them. Uh, later on, of course, through our advocacy work, uh, these concepts as well as words have become part of uh, the national policy. They have become part of the laws of uh, the country. We started from, you know, scratch uh, to to popularize uh, the, the concept as well as uh, the importance of those concepts. There was a shared vision. Uh, we were... Um, committed uh, group of uh, women and also some men who, who really collaborated with us. Uh, the fact that uh, we're also trained as lawyers is very helpful because it's a tool because uh, we use international standard, we use the country's constitution, and uh, those are our reference and our tools. So we always try to engage uh, policymakers or uh, legislators and uh, even members of the community in that terms, in that framework. Uh, so uh, they tend to, to listen to us. And uh, there, there are some cases that we represented that has got global attention and all that uh, uh, enhanced the credibility of the organization and, uh, and uh, the influence that we started to, to create. of a new conversation. We uh, brought the issue of gender equality squarely on the national agenda. You know, people never spoke about uh, rape or uh, sexual violence of children, but um, once uh, we started providing service, people started to talk about it. People started to come to our office to seek advice and, uh, and support. So it changed, it kind of changed the conversation. I don't know if you heard about this um, particular case that uh, we represented. This is a case of a 14 years old girl and uh, she was abducted. She was raped and uh, she killed her abductor. 
that was kind of a shock in, in, in our communities. And when I'm talking about one particular community, because abduction in that community at that time was considered just part of how people perform marriage. So uh, we represented her case and uh, the trial took two years and finally she was acquitted. So this created kind of a new narrative because nobody contested uh, abduction before. Uh, they have done it to her grandmothers, uh, probably to her aunties. So that was like a new chapter. Yes, our activism has uh, changed the conversation in many ways and at different levels. We also took some bold actions, and another incident is was that uh, there was this girl who was uh, harassed uh, by a person who wants to be her friend, and uh, she was not interested. This person was following her year after year, and she was uh, reporting to the police, and um, they were not interested because they think that it, it's just normal, and uh, she just has to deal with him. But then uh, we made an intervention. We had to appeal to the Minister of Justice at that time, and we said, you have to take seriously this case, and this is happening. We were ignored. We started community mobilization. We started to call for rallies. So the government was not happy with that, and uh, they decided to close our organization. And uh, we did not accept that situation either. We took the ministry to court. And that is like unheard of because <laughs> no civil society organization would dare to take a government ministry to court. So they have to uh, negotiate with us and uh, the minister was made to resign and our organization was reinstated. <laughs> Lots of uh, you know courageous stories. It is not easy because uh, you always have to keep that bar high because it's not only about you, uh, but it's about uh, girls. It's about women in general. I want to give you another example. Later on, I have uh, assisted uh, women entrepreneurs to establish a commercial bank, but women-focused commercial bank. It was a hard project. It was a very challenging project. But then... Um, when, whenever we sit together, discuss about the challenge, about raising the, all the money that is needed and putting in place uh, organizational structures to run a bank and so on, we say if we fail, we're going to fail girls. We're going to fail women. It's not about us. So we felt like we have no choice but to succeed. And of course, uh, we have done it. Now it's uh, very important and a big financial institution. So, yeah, challenges are there, but um, to, if you persist, I think you, you'll be successful. When I was a student at the law school, I was the only girl in my class out of uh, 50 boys. 
but now we have uh, on the average uh, 30% of um, students in any law school are women. So when I run into them, into, you know, families or the girls themselves, they say, oh, we grow up looking at you on the television, listening to you on the radio, and uh, we, we were inspired by your achievement. So uh, that's absolutely true. This is the uh, importance of role models uh, in our societies. Yeah, yeah, they do get inspiration. My current job is very challenging um, when I was approached uh, to take this uh, position a year ago, in November 2019. I had a job, very comfortable job at the United Nations, and I had I have also family responsibilities. But then I also thought that, you know, this is something of historical significance, and uh, I'm going to be the first ever uh, Chief Justice of a very... A big population, over 100 million, <laughs> and uh, I said uh, I should I should be able to take up this challenge. So it's a complex assignment because uh, the court that I am leading, there is no public trust. Uh, people has lost faith in the judiciary in our country, and uh, probably this is the case in other countries as well. We have very limited resource because. Uh, it was uh, completely neglected. The judiciary was completely neglected. And we have uh, put together a very important reform agenda. We are making some critical uh, steps, including uh, legislative reform, training programs. And uh, we're not doing that only with the government budget. Um, um, my contact with the U.S. Embassy and U.S. government um, is still helping me, and uh, we're working on a very important reform project with uh, USAID, yeah, which is under the State Department. I, I am really uh, grateful about uh, my, you know, continuous uh, collaboration with the, with the government and people of the United States. Mm. Our judges are more confident and they are more independent and uh, more than ever before they are confident that if they use the law and uh, make decision there is no consequence that they are going to face uh, this has not been the case some time ago and this itself i feel is is a big success the big success i think there is a shared vision and uh, there is support and I, I am optimistic uh, we're going to, to make a difference. Twenty two thirty three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the US State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Worst, I'm the director of the Collaboratory. 
2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, Ethiopia's Chief Justice, Masa Shanafi, reminisced about her experiences as a participant in the International Visitor Leadership Program, or IVLP. For more about IVLP and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233. You can do so wherever you find your podcasts and leave us a nice review while you're at it. And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. And now you can follow us on Instagram at 22.33 underscore stories. Special thanks to Chief Justice Ashanafi for taking the time to reminisce about her IVLP experiences. I did the interview along with Sam DiFilippo and edited this segment. Featured music was She Dreams in Blue by Josh Woodward and three songs by Blue Dot Sessions, Palladian, Rodney Scopes, and Silver Lanyard. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time.